Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify Him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles. Yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured <laughs> yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah everyone I scared myself a little <laughs> I didn't think I was gonna be that loud <laughs> this, anyway this is guys with Bibles uh, I'm Sean and I'm Lee and tonight and we have Bibles oh yeah we have Bibles <laughs> uh, but mine's better it's a CSB you know what? In your honor, I actually dug out my uh, "He Reads Truth" CSB study Bible. You're so and, you're so good to me. <laughs> I try, <laughs> I try, but I, I know who who I'm talking to. So tonight, um, uh, kind of being inspired by some conversations that uh, mostly Lee has had on Twitter, um, I just creep on the conversations and don't say anything. Um, <laughs> like most of Twitter. <laughs> Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of um, confessionalism and confessional identity and touch on uh, catechesis a little bit. Yes. So we're going to try to keep this to 30 to 40 minutes. I can't guarantee that's going to happen. We'll see how that goes. All right, Lee. Why, (laughs) Why is confessionalism important? Confessionalism is important because today we see a church in some stage of uneven decline. Um, We have laity that don't understand key truths about God, um, specifically about God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their work. We, We have a church that lacks a good understanding in what the gospel truly is, what salvation is, means, and looks like. And we also have a church that is greatly lacking in cohesion within individual congregations. I think these are all issues that can be alleviated, maybe not completely solved, because, I mean, we do still live in a fallen world, but I think these are problems that can be greatly alleviated by the use of a historic confession. So when we talk about confessionalism, we're talking about adhering to and agreeing with a historical document um, that is sub-biblical, but related to the Bible, and specifically lays out propositions that we state both affirmatively and also there's sometimes there are negative sections as well about what we believe and don't believe about key important uh, doctrines. Yeah, one of the uh, confessions that has a lot of negative 
not as in bad, but as negative as in what they don't believe. And I think they it is the the Book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions. Um, oh yes, it does have a bunch of um, yeah. It it basically statements. it states what they believe, why they believe it, and then why they don't believe what the Catholic Church believes. So, yeah. and the, it like compares and contrasts the two churches and the two faiths, and it's really interesting and it's very historical and it's. Um, it's pretty cool to see. I have a, a copy of the Book of Concord, actually. But um, you and me and Scott, who um, isn't feeling well, so he's not here tonight. It's not COVID, though, boys and squirrels, it, just so you know. Yeah, he just has a really, really bad migraine, and he he uh, got a shot for his migraine, and he is out. So he is not able to talk. But you mean he took a shot or he got a shot? <laughs> um, probably both. No. <laughs> No, no, he he got a inoculation from the doctor. Oh, I see. Okay. But um, good. But um, we but we all hold to um, a confession of faith known as the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Right. Um, the rumors are true. We have 1689 in our in our uh, album art. Just so you know. Yep. <laughs> so um, we make it plain. It's, it's right there. But there are so many good confessions, and all the, all the Reformed confessions, um, they're all good. Um, they're, they're all good. There's the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is extremely similar to the 1689. Mm-hmm. We just improved on it. Yeah, on just some minor key areas. Yeah. And then <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then you know, there's uh, the Belgic Confession. Yes, the Belgian, uh, con- the Belgic Confession, which I believe is that the. I don't even this know is one of the. That was the it's one. one of the three forms of unity. Yeah, the Belgic Confession is actually the one that the tulip, uh, the the doctrines of grace, were uh, defended from. Oh, that's the Canons of Dort. Right, but it was based on the, the what key. was taught in the Belgic Confession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, okay. So, just a little historical detail on confessionalism within the Reformed tradition. So, um, the Dutch Reformed uh, are centered around what they call the three forms of unity, which are the Belgic Confession of Faith, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort. So. Calvinists of pretty much any stripe are are going to be familiar with some parts of these if they don't actually subscribe to them. Now, what's awesome, I think, about confessionalism is that for, for myself as a 1689 Baptist, I can agree with the vast majority of the, the Belgic Confession of Faith. I can agree with so much of the Heidelberg Catechism. I can agree with so much of the Canons of Dort because we have enough similarity coming from a Calvinistic background um, and being non-Roman Catholic, that even if I don't agree with some of the chapters, this is not Scripture, where we have, where where we believe the pages of the Bible cover to cover. Right. So, as right. a Calvinist, I can use parts of the Three Forms of Unity, I can use parts of the Westminster Confession, and I can obviously use the confession that I subscribe to, 
without subscribing to all of them. Right. And there are even people who subscribe to the 1689 who disagree with some parts of it. I'm thinking of folks um, disagreeing with the section on uh, the Sabbath, on the observance of the Lord's Day, for instance, mm-hmm. which the 1689 does take a somewhat stricter view than most Christians do of the Sabbath, um, which maybe that's a discussion for another time. But um, because it's not Scripture, but it's helping interpret Scripture, we can have some some agree some some uh, variable disagreements with the document because it is a man-made document that helps interpret the Bible, but it's not the Bible. It's it's subservient to Scripture. Absolutely. Um, the way I look at a confession of faith is something like it's a guide um, that helps you understand scripture or important aspects of scripture and doctrines that are found in scripture and a good confession of faith is going to give you scripture references to go back and read the scripture and figure out why they this confession of faith says what it says and it's there sometimes so, some printings of the confessions don't give those yeah and mine i think that's does. really annoying yeah, mine, mine does, does. and uh, the good ones will. But the the point is that maybe you have a independent independent church. Um, I don't care about the denomination right now. Just an independent church that is not confessional. You have no plurality of elders. You have one pa- preaching pastor that runs the show. Right. You are not... Uh, you're in danger. You're in danger. Um, he's going to preach what he wants to preach. He's not really accountable to anyone. Uh, right. He's going to... Unknowingly, he's going to... Put, just because he's a sinful human being, he's going to put into... The scripture, as he's preaching, what he wants everyone to believe, whether it's in scripture or not. And when you have a plurality of elders, you have a confession that you hold to, you have a solid church that holds to something like the 1689, the the people in the church are able to look at their confession of faith, look at what he's preaching, and the confession of faith is kind of like a firewall. Like it, it, your creeds and your confessions kind of guard against that independent church preaching whatever they're like they sandbags preach. when yeah. the hurricane's coming. Yeah, it's like a filter to to filter that bad stuff out. Does it work all the time? No, but it does help. Um, it it gives you a solid ground to build your theological base on and whether you're a theology nerd or not, you have a theology. You, you have an understanding of God, whether you believe in God or not, um, that maybe you don't think there is a God at all. Well, that's your theology. You, everybody has a theology. The minute you say Christ is Lord, you're doing theology. Oh yeah. We, who said that? Was that Scott's quote? Um, was was that your quote? I heard it from somebody I forget. I'd love to credit somebody with that. It was I read it on Twitter, but it came from a book. 
But that's true because in order to say Christ is Lord, you have to understand number one what Christ, what the word Christ means, what a Messiah is, and you have to understand what a Lord is. Yeah. And the extent of that, like you could say that, but if you don't understand what authority comes with not only Jesus as Messiah, but also Jesus as Lord, you've got to understand that from Scripture, um, and and you it requires a theological framework in order to truly understand and appreciate what that means. Right. So in the in my conversation on Twitter with. Um, Michael Alford, and another account, uh, I can't remember, it was a, it was an anonymous account. Um, it's been very interesting and eye-opening for me, uh, and not confrontational. Um, it's been very much with, uh, brotherly kindness in, in, in the faith, but, um, I did come up, and it really made me think, um, uh, I came across an argument about, um, a statement of faith versus a confession, basically referring to a confession as um, a, a truncated systematic theology. Okay, it was it was a fellow named John Wright um, who was very well spoken for his uh, position, um, and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed talking with him. So there were three three different people I was talking to, and. Twitter's not a great place to, you know, unpack all this stuff, but um, I kind of, I in my mind, I want to push back on that idea, number one, as confession, as a truncated systematic theology, um, but also an, e- an equation with a, a statement of faith, because there's something particular about a confession like the 1689. So, as... As a 1689 Baptist, I would consider myself part of the independent Baptist movement as a whole. I don't know. Do you agree with that? I mean, we're not SBC. Yeah. Um, yeah and, you know, to be honest, I'm going to say right now, um, I'm still new to this whole Protestant thing. <laughs> we can tell. No, I'm kidding. And, you know, to be honest, there's so many different kinds of Baptists. Um, there really are. Uh, it's it's hard for me to keep track, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, we don't belong. Well, although our church just did join a Reformed a, fellowship. A fellowship, right. We're in a fellowship of like-minded churches, um, but... But there's no hierarchical structure. No, that, we are just our, we are connected yeah. by what we believe. Um, it's a um, it's a horizontal brotherly relationship between congregations. Yeah, yeah, and we support each other in that. But right, we are not like um, we're not Presbyterians. Where we're not a not, big church body like the you know the LCMS or the uh, Episcopal Church. Uh, right. We don't have synods. Um, we don't. Yeah, have we don't have synods. We don't have dio- dioceses. We don't have archdioceses. We we don't have these things. Uh, we, we're just. To it's a certain our, degree, we're our church. You know, as a Baptist, you know, our church, our congregation is central to us 
that that is mm-hmm. us. Um, that mm-hmm. we are our a single entity. So I guess you could say uh, that is where our focus is at. Um, and church polity has always been one of the defining features of any Baptist, whether they were of an Arminian bent right. or of a Calvinistic bent. The 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 congregation and its pastor answer to God. There's no um, there's no man higher than than that congregation to bark orders at them, which right. is a, I think that's the right way to go. But it comes with its own set of dangers, and it's a danger Absolutely. that I think it needs to be histo- done right. Yeah, it does need to be done right. There needs to be a plurality of elders. Um, the pastor needs to be one of several elders um and they need to be uh, in agreement cohesive and in touch with the church okay so yes so that's all very very true but a confession as compared to a statement of faith is not an editable document so a statement of faith that uh, a deacon board wrote you know 20 years ago in in a particular church can be updated and changed at any time and if you have a pastor or an elder or whoever that has a particular perhaps unbiblical idea that they want to push in the church they would have the ability to go through and change that statement of faith to reflect their idea regardless right. of whether the church agreed with it or not yeah that's something you can't do with the 1689 for instance that's not something you can do with the westminster confession because those have been standing for so long um, yeah. that you, in subscribing to it, um, use it as your framework. So it's supposed to be a steadying force to keep our eyes on Scripture. So it's, like you were saying, it's kind of storm walls that are holding us in when forces may be trying to pull us to the left or to the right. That's right. the goal anyway. And, of course, sinful people can misuse a good thing, and I think confessions are a very good thing. Perhaps yes. even a necessary thing, and there's, uh, but maybe not always. And, uh, you know, there's there's so much talk nowadays um, in mainline Christianity about church unity. Yeah. Um, confessions, uh, they are a unifying document. Uh, they unify believers in Scripture. Uh, I mean, that's that's one of the main points of having a confession mm-hmm. is and uh i people are so ready to drop anything that's old um nowadays that i'm so in i mean to be honest there's some churches that are probably you know well the bible is pretty old we should probably get rid of it you know <laughs> there are people that say that and they uh, and they say that um in it's a not relevant way uh, yeah, by it's, it's making not relevant edits. anymore. But, but you know, it, people but want unity. Yeah, people want. Um, they they want. Uh, I'm trying to find the right words here. I'm sorry. They want relevancy. They want um, something relevant to their life right now in this time, and they don't think a confession of faith written you know, in the the 17th 17th century century. is going to be relevant to them. And what they believed back then and their culture back then is not the same as it is now. Well, I can tell you what is the same as it was back (laughs) then, and that's scripture and sin. 
and mm-hmm. uh, they're they're not going to change. Hey, they're always going to be there, and that's what this confession does: is it unifies. This confession that I'm holding in my hand right now, along with all the other Reformed confessions, it unifies believers in Scripture so that you can gu- we can guard each other and hold each other up against sin. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's all there. Um, it's very important. It's very important. Now, uh, if your church in- does not hold to a confession of faith... You know, to be honest, our church actually is not a 1689 church. Right. right? It's not. It's not It's not technically a 1689 church. Right. But it is referenced a lot. Um, and there's a lot of us who, and other members in the church, when speaking with each other, who all have some level of agreement with the confession, even if absolutely. we don't personally subscribe to it. And I and, think that's better than not having it altogether. And, and there's reasons that we are not a 1689 church, and I totally understand those reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into that on here. But that doesn't mean that I can't read this confession and uh, totally agree with it and hold to it myself. Right. right. And hold and, and, you know, find like-minded people like a nerd like you to mm-hmm. talk to about yeah. it. So I I love and, you though, Lee. And bore each other with the details. Oh no, yeah, I love you too, babe. <laughs> um <laughs> but you I love that awkward <laughs> silence. <laughs> uh no, you're right. Uh and in I I love the idea. Maybe this is a little bit of Catholicism coming out in me, but um, oh, we we'll talk here about Here we go. Here we go. Unity. Okay. Don't. So I'm uni- so it, by agreeing with the confession, I'm unified with you, right? And we're contemporaries. Yep. Uh, we go to church together, but we're unified on key points of doctrine that are highlighted in the confession. But at the same time, we can turn to the back of the confession and we can realize we right now are unified with pastors from the 17th century that signed this document um, oh, yeah. because we've agreed. So I'm now believing what I believe as informed by obviously my uh, my belief in Christ, my study of Scripture, and the assistance of this confession. Uh, I I am closely related then to uh, William Kiffin, who was a signer on the document, to Hercules Collins. Um, That's a great name. If I ever have another son, I'm naming <laughs> one of two names. Atticus or Hercules? Ooh, Her- yeah. Oh, those are good. Oh yeah. And also, and also Benjamin Keach. And I know, yeah. you know, we've got it. We, there's additional document in both of our copies of of the Confession that is also the Baptist Catechism, which is a huge aspect of um, of of Christian life and specifically also Baptist life that has gone. Um, that we've been uh, remiss for having lost for for a long time. Yeah, so. I I stumbled across a contemporary version of Keech's Catechism for kids um, Ooh, online, good. and I can't tell you where I found it. I need to find it again and was send it, it to you. Was it on Founders? It might might have been on Founders, it, but it was like a it was wor- I mean, this catechism is supposed to be for kids, but there's some big words in it that my kids don't mm-hmm. know. You know, it's written yeah. in an older way, 
and uh, people were just smarter back then. <laughs> I honestly think my kids are really smart, though. I just it sounded yeah, like I smart. just said give my them, kids. Give them some credit. Come on now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I found that, and I go through that with my kids almost every night. Just a few questions, and kind of repeat those questions, and then we'll talk about something, and then I'll throw a question at them, you know, mm-hmm. and like pop quiz kind of thing, and uh, they're learning, you know. And they're able to, when someone asks them a question about their faith as they grow, they can recall these questions that they've memorized and be able to give an answer for a lot of these questions. And no, memorizing a couple words to a simple question is, does not make you an apologist. It doesn't make you an expert in the faith, but it does give you a solid foundation on which to build Mm-hmm. build that on and uh that's something that doesn't really happen a whole lot in christian homes anymore is raising your kids to to defend their faith and uh right and my kids go to public school i don't have a problem with public school um for the most part um i went to public school and we've got good public schools around here too yeah um the public school that my kids go to is probably one of the, it, it is the best in in the county that i live in oh hands and, down and uh, it's a Christian community around there. It really is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, and I, I mean, most of the teachers, uh, almost all the teachers that go that are at that school are Christians. I know. I know almost. I know a lot of them personally. And uh, it's a small community. And but even we, that, we've taken dominion just just as God uh, commanded us to do. Yeah. <laughs> You just had to, didn't you? I had but, to. <laughs> but still, they're going to run into people in life. You can't shelter your kids forever from this. You know, if you raise them, a you don't help them by sh- by sheltering them. You don't help them exactly. They need to learn how to defend themselves and their faith. Um, right. And they, and you need to give them the tools to do that. As Peter says, to give. To give an answer for the joy that's in them, because people are going to notice, and they're going to push back against it. They may be curious as to what it is, but most often, when people see the light of Christ in your witness, they're going to push back against it and be angry. So having your defense, um, having your explanation, um, is a duty of the Christian for for when that time comes, that you're going to be able to say the correct and and right thing yeah at that point in gentleness i took a philosophy class in college and uh yeah and i like that kind of stuff but the the topic uh for this certain class this is funny um i had just started to i was really into lutheran theology but i was reading reformed stuff too Mm -hmm. and i had discovered the westminster confession well the topic for the day was what is your like what's the purpose of life oh boy basic and you know yeah you can debate that all day that isn't but i get i you know people were you know get at the beginning of class before the lecture people were giving their opinion on you know what it was what was the purpose of life and i raised my hand and i said the the chief end of man is to 
<laughs> glorify God and enjoy Glor- him forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you should have... I, people looked at me like I had ten heads. Yeah, all the airs just sucked out of the room. What yeah, it was just... About? You could hear a pin drop, but... I, you know, that is what I believe. That is what scripture declares. And that's true. What, and that's what I'm going to say. And, uh, you can tell me I'm wrong all day. That's fine. Um, but I'm not, you you have, you have the right to be wrong in thinking that I'm wrong, but I'll, I'll, I'd be glad to inform you as to why you are wrong (laughs) and why you're missing out. And I'm not saying I'm not wrong because I'm arrogant. I'm not wrong because that's what Scripture says. Right. Um, we have but the problem is you you, you can't argue you can't argue that with someone that doesn't hold Scripture to that level of authority. Um, so you have to come at it from a different angle, and it's that can be challenging. And I'll admit right now I am not good at that. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to do, and you know, the, the, there's an issue with the fact that um, the way that you might phrase your answer depends on not only the question that you're asked, but who's asking the question. Because there's some people that you can be more um, brash and blunt with, and other people that need a much more gentle answer. Right. So the way that, so the way that you phrase these kind of apologetic arguments really, I think, has a lot to do with who you're talking to in that moment, what the opportunity actually is. Is this a very, very hurt and broken person who um, is already deflated by the weight of their sin, or is this an arrogant and puffed-up um, atheist or something who yeah. um, is, is high on their own supply and you've got to burst that bubble? I think it, I think it depends quite a bit on, on those kind of contextual things. And I could be wrong on that. I'm willing to be wrong. But I'm not very much an in-your-face kind of guy anymore. I, You know, I used to be. um, Yeah, me too. I used to be pretty outspoken about stuff. And uh, as I've grown older and uh, matured a little bit in my faith, I've realized that probably was a terrible way to go about that. Um, And... Uh, I should have been a lot more gentle mm-hmm. and uh, forgiving. And I like I like the aim small, miss small kind of oh Ted way Nugent. of going about it. <laughs> right? No, exact exactly. Yeah, the nuge. Yeah, Be- because you know you find your little opening. Um, you're not going to go in with the scatter gun and just see what happens. You right. find the you find the opening. And you, you, just, you, and you put just that arrow right there. Toss, yeah, toss the gospel right at it. Yeah, but yeah, I I wanted to say one, just one more thing about confessions before we no. p- pivot a little bit, if if that's fine with you. No, that's uh, fine. Doc, Go for doctor it. host. Okay. So uh, you, one of the, one of the other things was that this the, is my show. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna cut my mic soon. Uh, I'm just, but you kidding. can't do that. Go for it. I won't interrupt you again. So, uh, one of the characterizations of a historical confession was basically that it was a um, a shortened um, systematic theology. Yeah, I, that's not, that, I wanted to get back to that. I'm glad you yeah, mentioned that. Yeah. 
okay, good. Um, I'm glad. Because I don't think that's entirely correct. Yeah, there is something systematic about uh, about the 1689, but it's more of like hitting the high notes of important topics that are necessary to have agreement on within a church. So, you know, there are... Um, so it's broken up into chapters. There are 32 chapters of the 1689 Confession. So it's of the Holy Scriptures where it lines out the canon. It talks about God and the Trinity, God's decree, creation, divine providence, the fall of man's sin and its punishment, God's covenant, Christ's work as the mediator of free will, effectual calling, justification, adoption, sanctification, saving faith, repentance unto life and salvation, good works, the perseverance of the saints, assurance of grace, of the law of God, the gospel and its extent, Christian liberty, liberty of conscience, of religious worship and the Sabbath day, lawful oaths and vows, the civil magistrate of the church, of marriage, of the communion of the saints, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the state of man after death and the resurrection of the dead, and the last judgment. That would not be a very good systematic theology, but those are highly timely topics. I didn't say relevant, because I think it's better than relevant, because relevance has something to do with our times right now, what our hot-button topics are in 2020. These aren't relevant, they're timely. These are the big the big topics that have to do with the faith, how we preach, how we witness, what we believe, what's necessary for orthodox belief as a Christian and specifically as a Baptist. So you're going to want to read a systematic theology f- to not only understand some of the even deeper topics than these, but also how they're all interconnected. This doesn't do that work. It's not intended to do that work because it's a document specifically for the church, not for the theologian. It is theology, yes, but this is, if there was ever a layman's book of theology, it would be a confession of faith like the 1689 or the Belgic Confession or the Westminster because it's intended for the Christian, not necessarily the theologian, you know, with a capital T and right. a trademark symbol on it. Um, yeah, th- this is this is for Christians, everyday yeah, Christians. This, yeah, this is for an everyday person, not a you know a uh, scholarly you know person that sits and reads the like theology books and writes dissertations mm-hmm. all day. Like weirdos like us who blog. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't even know how to write a dissertation. I just write. <laughs> oh, me neither. That sounds so daunting. Like, I just could, the word dissertation imagine. makes my blood pressure go up. <laughs> how many S's are in that word? I don't even know! <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm stressed I guess what, out. Would we call, we'd call this practical theology, I guess. Yeah. qualify it. I like... I love theology, but I also love to talk about theology with people that don't think that they like it. Um, Mm -hmm. I like to, I'm not going to say dumb it down because I'm not calling anybody dumb. I'm, I'm the chief of the dumbest people. We'll just say that. We're bringing it to the streets, but I'm I'm making it access. I want to make it accessible to everybody. I I want to make it 
easy to understand. Um, like, I don't want people, I don't want to be like, here's a John Owen book. Go read that. Their head will explode. <laughs> My head explodes. All their hair. <laughs> yes. I don't, I get stressed out over, the, over that name too. I love John Owen, but my goodness. You read one sentence and you think you've really accomplished. Well, actually, you have really accomplished something because one sentence of John Owen is about a page long. <laughs> so you really have it read really something. Is. But it's <laughs> like I'll read a Latin. page and be and I'll sit there and I'll be like, "What just happened?" Whew. I, I need to go back this. and read that again, and then I you do that about ten times, and then I can move on. But I just want to make uh, it. I think that's one of the reasons why we do this podcast. We want to make it accessible to people that Absolutely. normally wouldn't get it, wouldn't um, get into theology, w- wouldn't get into the heavy doctrine, yep. and all, and and uh, study studying scripture as deeply as we want to go. And uh, I, right. we just try to make it accessible to everybody. And that's why we do episodes like this, where we're talking about theology itself, and we do the Bible study episodes where we apply theology as we're reading through a book of the Bible together, too. Right. I think it's really important to see all that from from normal people. Like, we're not, we're not professional pastors, you know? We're not no. seminary professors. We're not anything I'm special. A- I'm a union warehouse worker. <laughs> yeah, and, and I and I'm a I'm a nursing home uh crazy person. <laughs> you know, like one of one of the one of the weirdos that works in healthcare. So and, we're not and professionals. Scott is in school, yes, to to for that his, is true. I, I believe yeah. his master of theology. I think that's probably an MDiv Masters of yeah, Divinity. Master I of think. Divinity in theology. Yeah. But he works in the same warehouse I do. Like, uh, we're just regular guys, and we we just want to make it accessible to everybody. And that is, and that's what the the difference between a confession and a cis-theo is. I mean, if you read, like, Charles Hodges' Systematic Theology, it's awesome, but it's not the same as a unifying document for all Christians in a church body. It's 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 not the same thing. Talk, talking about uh, talking about common people like us, you know, uh, we we're the people that Tyndale was thinking of when he said that when he completed his his translation of the Bible that the that the plow the plow boy will know will be able to read as much of God's word as the Pope or something to that to that uh, yeah. degree. So we, I mean, I, I for myself, I am that plow boy. You know, right. if we lived if we lived in the pre Reformation era, even as as you know, thirty something men that we are now, we would have no access to any of this material. We yeah. would basically be looking to our priest to to be a Christian for us, and because yeah. we wouldn't be taught anything about God, we would just go and we would take um, the Eucharist and we would be thinking we're racking up this grace by doing these these acts, but not knowing anything. Mm-hmm. By God's grace, people like Tyndale, and then subsequently reformers Martin Luther and uh, John Calvin, and even Ulrich Zwingli, and going through, um, have produced materials and translations of the Bible and the proliferation of all this stuff, so that knuckleheads like us would be able to acquire knowledge not only of God but of 
even the deeper subjects of theology related to his decree and his will and what he accomplishes when he saves a soul. Um, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. And Zwingli was also a knucklehead. Oh, yeah. No, they all, all were knuckleheads. That's, was, that's, they were all kind of knuckleheads. <laughs> and God used those knuckleheads to better his church. The only the only person who lived that wasn't a knucklehead was Jesus. That was it. Yeah. He was the only much. non-knucklehead. Yeah. Um, but no, so I'm just, I'm really... He was tempted to be a knucklehead in his humanity. <laughs> right. But in his divinity, he could not be a knucklehead. <laughs> exactly. See, and we couldn't say that without some theology behind it. Right. That's yeah. the hypostatic union right there. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't, I, I come to confessionalism out of uh, gratitude, you know, that, that men who truly cared about uh, Yahweh and about the mission that he put his, his church toward, um, and they found it important enough to write down this document laying out important, important topics to help the church, to keep us on the narrow road of orthodoxy. I'm grateful that they did that and that um, Christians before me have kept them, uh, respected them, and preserved them as, uh, as a tool to keep us on, on the straight, narrow path. Um, I, I don't want to throw them away because they're old. I don't want to throw them away because someone may have misused them at some point. I, I want to have a clean conscience before God, um, using not only, of course, the, the, the inspired scriptures, but also the additional tools that God has given us outside of that through his church, um, through, through believers in history. I want to use as much of that as I can to, to produce and, and proclaim the best witness that I can, to not right. only know the gospel, but to be able to communicate it well and to understand the entire counsel of God as it pertains to my life as a Christian. That's why I'm a confessional. Yep. I don't know about you. Well, I do, but... <laughs> yeah. I I have to totally agree with you, man. Um, not having a confession of faith is something that's really alien to me, because Roman Catholics have a confession of faith. Um, mm -hmm. We have a catechism of the Catholic Church that also serves as a confession. I said we. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I can cut that out if you want. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, leave it in. That's total depravity at work right there. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean, okay? Yeah. It's late. You're one of us now. You're not. But you came out from among them. You the catechism the of the Catholic Church is not only a catechism used to help teach the, the children, but it's also a confession of faith in that these questions uh, answer and and speak of doctrines that the church teaches. And um, they don't necessarily have a confession of faith per se, but it's it's right there in the catechism. Yep. Uh, and when I left the Catholic Church and I... I started researching different Protestant churches, I realized that most of them have a statement of faith on their website or, uh, you know, a mission statement, which is fine. The, you actually should have those. Um, 
It's better than not having one. But, you know, there was no historic confession that a lot of these churches around here hold to. Uh, it's just them, their Bible, and Jesus, and whatever their preacher says. And uh, that, I, I just couldn't get on board with that. And uh, when I Because that really may work got, for a while, but it's totally subject to the whims of whoever's uh, at the levers of power in that church. And then I, I found I found a Lutheran church to jump into, you know, so I could at least go to church somewhere. I never became a member there, but it got me moving toward Reformed theology. Um, I read so much Lutheran theology, and uh, it really got the ball rolling for me. And the Lutheran, well, Lutheranism... Orthodox Lutheranism is a very confessional religion, faith, and sure is. I got a book of Concord, I studied it, and came to realize that um, the Lutheran church that I went to is in the ELCA, um, which I didn't know what that meant. Uh, <laughs> I found out real quick that um, they are uh, very liberal in their theology and um, do not, they don't hold scripture up very high. Um, and they don't even hold to the Book of Concord. Um, they once in a while will reference a little bit of the Augsburg Confession, which is probably the backbone document. Um, of the Book of Concord, and but they don't hold to anything else. It's it's hmm. strange. Um, they're nominally Lutheran, they're just Lutheran by name, really. Hmm. So I continued my search and found, um, you know, Reformed theology with the help of Scott and you, and uh, really dug in deep to that and found Reformed confessions of faith that, you know are awesome and mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad that that I have them uh, they, they they help me if I have questions um, I'm not smart enough to just like jump to scripture and be like oh yes well there it is <laughs> you know sometimes I'll grab my my 1689 copy find the the subject that I want to you know I have a question on. Mm -hmm. And then I can jump to scripture references from the 1689 and be like, oh, yeah, here it is. That's why I believe this. That's why that's what scripture says about this subject of of God's uh, providence or of you oh, know, assurance of uh, assurance of grace and salvation. You know, why do I have assurance? Well, OK, chapter 18 of the 1689, let's, you know, and then you can go through each paragraph and it explains what it's talking about. And then it gives you scripture references for each sentence of that paragraph. Yep. Um, it's great. And, and it gives you language to be able to explain it as well. So you get the scripture reference for why it says what it says. And then you have the actual verbiage that you can you can reuse later, maybe reworded in your own you know, contemporary parlance, but the meaning would still be there. The logic of the statement is still there. So helpful. Really, really, really helpful. And so is the catechism too, 
because it takes that and puts it even closer to the ground in sort of the question answer format. Absolutely. Yep. So the, I mean, these are just really great resources, and I think we should and take these advantage are just of them. The rambling thoughts of two. <laughs> Two exhausted Reformed Baptists. Two strange little short men. (laughs) Wannabe hobbits who read way more than the average hobbit would. Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, you know what? I say we hold off on the church sign game until Scott jumps back on. It's more fun. I do want to talk about some books that um, I've been reading. Yeah, let's talk books. Um, just real quick, um, so um, I'm not going to get into eschatology in detail. Thank you in advance. The the audience thanks you. I just want to w- say that ahead of time. But um, I am uh, slowly working through a book called He Shall Have Dominion. Which is um, a post-millennial eschatology. Which um, I'm going to be starting very soon. I know I'm delayed um, on it. But. By Kenneth L. Gentry. And it's it's very comprehensive, very good. And if you, um, even if you're not post-millennial, um, if you have questions on post-millennialism, this is one of the main books that you should read. Um, if you're into eschatology. I am not... A huge eschatology person. Um, it is a minor thing for me, but it's something that I could learn more about. So that's what I want to do. Um, and if I call myself post-millennial, I probably should know what that means. So so I can defend myself. Yeah. It's always a good um, thing to know what your label means. And I'm actually... I you know this is this is so bad of me, Lee. I'm gonna admit something on here. Remember when we were all reading Holiness? Yes. Okay, by J.C. Ryle. Uh-huh. I never finished that. I didn't either. So I am working through that. I'm almost done. Got a couple chapters left. So I'm. That working was a hard through, read. And it's very very long chapters. Um, very long chapters. But and very convicting. It makes you feel like a total piece of crap sometimes. Ryle but, was was the true and better Paul Washer. <laughs> yeah, he's like gonna the go Paul on the Washer right of now. the Anglican Church. Yeah, he was the Paul Washer of the Bishop of Liverpool. <laughs> the Anglican Paul Washer. But, Those are good books. And then I just got in the mail um, a book by Hugh Ross called a matter of days um have have you thought about ordering this lee i actually did order it and i received it last week okay good yeah i think i got mine last week and um it i have not read i have not started it yet i have a huge reading list um but it's basically a comparison of the language and the creation story about the word day and, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, basically a compare and contrast of old earth and young earth creationism. So it's a lot of science stuff in here. Hugh Ross is, I believe, an astronomer. Yes. Yep. By training. Yep. Yeah. He's an astronomer and a pastor. Yep. 
So um, interesting has, guy. I've heard him on some podcasts before. He's he's pretty well spoken. Yeah. So very knowledgeable. Um, that should be a pretty cool read. Um, and then tomorrow I'll be getting uh, the bruised read by uh, Sibs. Um, ooh, mysteries of Providence, I believe, by Flavel Flav. Yeah. And what was the other one? The Lord's Supper by Thomas Watson. Some Puritan paperbacks that were on sale on Amazon. So I'm excited about that. And uh, what else? Oh, and then I have God in the Storm, which I uh, don't really know. Which is different than God in the Whirlwind. Yeah, which I also have that. um, But hold on here. I'm trying to find the uh, author for God in the Storm. But um, yeah, I actually ordered this because it was on a um, list that J.I. Packers uh, said that every Christian should read these books, and it was on that list. Hmm. So I picked up a copy. Mark Malefer. Hmm. I've never heard that um, name before. But, I wonder if he's uh, a, yeah. an Anglican or something, because I'm kind of out of he, touch with Anglican commentators and stuff. Yeah, let's see here. Uh, well, it says Pastor Mark draws from biblical wisdom, his own life, and his pastoral experience to provide vivid illustrations and applications of the life of the suffering saint. He reminds us of God's compassionate, merciful sovereignty and assures us that during our storms, God is still with us, provides for us, and has a purpose for us. Mm, that sounds good. Yeah, so it doesn't sound too bad. So um, I picked up a used copy on Amazon for a few bucks. So uh, awesome. why not? Yeah, why not? But yeah, So I have um, a lot of uh, reading to catch up on and... We'll see how that goes, but good stuff. I just recently finished uh, a small book that I got from Free Grace Press called "Anticipating God's Rest" about uh, Sabbatarianism uh, from a Baptist perspective. So they're a, um, I believe they're a Reformed Baptist um, publishing house. Cool. And um, he did a very good job explaining. Um, Sabbath in terms of not only moral law, but also positive law, and about how um, it's not something that can just drop off of the Ten Commandments because Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament Sabbath, but that actually a Sabbath rest is part of the moral law. Um, It was a very good book, uh, and pretty short too, it's a small book. And this week, I am determined to finish uh, The Mystery of Christ and His Covenant by uh, Sam Renahan, which has to be probably the best book on 1689 federal um, covenant theology um, that I've read. And I've read a a few, not a ton, but um, it's definitely one of the best laid out and and most clearly written um, discussions of... Baptist Covenant Theology, so highly recommend that, and that's from Founders, and I'm hopefully to finish that this week. Nice. Then it'll be on to um, 
the book All That Is In God by, is that James Dolezal? Um, I'm going to start that, which is about um, theology proper, and then also uh, He Shall Have Dominion, which I'm pretty sure I'll be reading that probably for most of 2021. <laughs> it's a pretty big book. Yeah, that's a monster. Oh, uh, and, and I'm also reading uh, rereading The Lord of the Rings. So oh. I've, I've uh, determined... I'm putting Dune away for a while, um, which probably doesn't bode well with the movie going to be coming out. I think it was supposed to come out this Christmas, but I'm only reading Tolkien from now uh, until I finish. <laughs> so I read The Silmarillion uh, over the spring and summer, reread that for the second time, and then I just started Lord of the Rings. Um, and I might do Lord of the Rings and Unfinished Tales uh, simultaneously. Um, you need to, uh, have you read any of the History of Middle-Earth books? No, and I really need to get okay, to those. Okay, well, I have almost all of them, <gasps> so you can you can borrow one at a time. Now, there's four volumes that I don't have, and they're very hard to find, but I have the common ones. So. I bought a gently used copy of The Lays of Beleriand, because I love mm-hmm. poetry, and so I, I figured have, I'd start there. I Yeah, I have, I think that's volume three. Yeah, it's after the two books of Lost Tales. Yeah, um, I have the I have all those. So um, I have the books of Lost Tales, and I have uh, uh, all the uh, War of the Ring and uh, Morgoth's Ring, um, yeah, the Shadow uh, of Mordor. Yeah, I have all those that like the <sighs> editing from Christopher Tolkien. So beautiful. So that that. It's it's pretty cool stuff. I may but, uh, I may have to borrow those from you at some point. <laughs> yeah, man. The uh, oh yeah, and and um, I was informed by um, my girlfriend that I need to read this book, so I might have to. Uh, I'm gonna, I may sit aside um, my reading list so I can read this book, but it's called "The Gospel Comes with a House Key." Oh, yeah, 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 Rosaria uh, Butterfield. Yeah, and uh, she said, uh, my girlfriend said that it is one of the best books she's ever read on Christian hospitality. And uh, that's something that I definitely could work on. (laughs) Oh, me too. So, yeah, I'm terrible. So, uh, but yeah. um, Dude, Rosaria Butterfield has a really awesome testimony, too. Yeah, um, I I was, I didn't know a whole lot about her, so I checked her out online after she told me about this book, and uh, that is I a really... radical conversion. Yes. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm kind of excited to read that book. So cool. once I get Holiness finished up, I might uh, take it from her so I can read it. But, you'll, move, um, you'll move on from uh, a great Anglican to an OPC author. She's an yeah. OPC pastor's wife. Yeah. There's not too many good Anglicans anymore. I'm just kidding. Anglican people. Especially with J.I. Packer passing away. Oh, that made me sad, man. Uh, I have two of Packer's books. I know he's written more than that, but I have, of course, Knowing God. That's the big one. Yeah. And then, and then I have um, a quest for, is it the quest for godliness that came with the T4G books? Yes, a- I think a quest for godliness. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I have those two. 
Um, I have, I've read Knowing God, which is amazing, um, but I have not read the other one, so I need to, that's on the list. The ever-growing reading list. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna finish my reading list before I go to be in with the Lord in glory, (laughs) but. That's okay. That's okay. But. I don't have anything else to talk about. I said we were going to be done in a half hour, and it's now 10.30 at night, and we've been talking for an hour. Yep. Just like usual. You know, we don't want to restrict uh, important conversations to an artificial uh, timeline. You know, conversation is conversation, and when we have an important topic, you want to let that topic breathe and be able to really communicate what you want to communicate. Yeah. I think we did okay. Yeah. You did. It. Not so much me. You did too. Ah, oh, come on. Cut it out. You done you done scissor. good. Okay. Well, um Lee, where can they find us? They can find us uh across the internet. Woo! Um you can go to our website, guyswithbibles.com. Uh, you can listen to audio of the podcast there. You can also read our blogs, which lately all three of us have been blogging, which has been really nice. Um, and so uh, you can check on uh, the blogs there. And um, then you need to run over to social media and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Guys With Bibles. Uh, then over on Facebook, we have the public page, which is where we do mainly our social media posts about episodes, um, upcoming news, uh, blog posts, and things like that. Um, so you should like our page, but then you should also run over and uh, request to join the Guys of Bibles Facebook group, where um, a lot of conversations going on. Um, so it's just been good to... Uh, to keep those things going and be in touch with people. And uh, we get a lot of really great and useful feedback from folks. So um, keep that going. Our ears are always open. And um, and I think I think we must be fun to talk to on the internet. I hope so. Yeah. So trying to, trying to be the nicer guys on the 1689 crew. Because sometimes some folks who have 1689 in their names can be a little mean online. Hopefully we're not one of those. All right, did you did you mention the email? Oh no. Who emails? <laughs> Come on. Nobody emails. What are you talking about? You can email us at guyswbibles at gmail.com. But really, I mean, who does right. that? Right. Right, I know. Anyway, uh well if that's it, I think uh we're done. So uh, everybody, thank you for listening and dealing with this horrible conversation we just had. I fell asleep three different times. <laughs> but uh, seriously, thanks everybody for listening and uh, make sure you check out the Bar Podcast Network uh, that we're part of. Awesome stuff. Um, but this is Guys with Bibles and we're out. <laughs>